Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You know, Miles Simmons has a well-earned reputation for not watching any movies that were made in the decade of the 80s, although we now know he at least watched Footloose. That was 1984. The following year, the movie of the summer, Back to the Future. Miles has not seen it, refuses to see it. There we are, but he recently tweeted that he was somewhere where they had the DeLorean, the modified DeLorean that became the time machine if... The car was driven at exactly 88 miles per hour combined with a burst of electricity in the amount of 1.21 gigawatts. That was how the flux capacitor activated and you could travel through time simply by punching into the console on the dashboard exactly where you wanted to go. Quite an invention by Dr. Emmett Brown. Yeah, uh, the very great uh, invention by him. Yeah, I, I was at the Peterson Car Museum here in Los Angeles on Sunday, and they've got a bunch of movie cars. That's there, the old Batmobile from the Michael Keaton era. Like, that was in there. I actually watched the first Michael Keaton Batman on Wednesday night, so that's another 80s movie that I guess uh-huh. I've seen. And I, yeah, uh, Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton's in the new Flash. You ever movie, dance with I'm the devil in the pale moonlight? Weekend. There we go. Yeah, exactly. Great line. Great line there. But the worst part about that tweet is that I left uh, a this out of that sentence. I think car. Like, what a jerk. Come on. I do English for a living. Oh. I really, it, it bothers me. Oh. It bothers me a lot. I don't like yeah. that. Yeah. Do this long enough and you, it won't bother you. It used to bother me, too, back when I was your age. Now, if <laughs> oh, I have I a typo so. in something, I don't care. Like, somebody emailed me yesterday. Oh, you got a typo in one of your stories. It's like, yeah, I'll get around to it. And I don't think I ever did. So uh, you will get used to it. You will get numb to it. Um, what else was I going to mention? Oh, if you ever do watch Back to the Future, you will also know that Dr. Emmett Brown got the idea for the flux capacitor, which allows somehow, some way, they never explain how it works, which allows travel through time because he was changing a light bulb in his bathroom and he fell and he hit his head. And when he hit his head, that's when he got the idea for the flux capacitor that allows time travel.
So anyway, okay. Uh, I'm one of these days. One of these days, I am going to clockwork orange you. I am going to force you, eyes open with the little clamps. You're going to watch Back to the Future. One of these days, we're going to figure out how to make that happen. All right, DeAndre Hopkins finished his time in New England. A couple of days there. A photo, not video, but photo posted from the locker room yesterday with Matthew Judon. Everybody looking happy. Everybody looking like maybe they want to get together here. Reports are that he left, completed the visit, We'll take some time to make a decision. Now, I don't know of any other visit he's going to take. Visited the Titans, visited the Patriots. We've seen nothing else out there. Are these the only two he's going to take? I don't know. Is somebody else going to swoop in? I don't know. But, you know, Miles, the thing that's been bothering me, usually when Bill Belichick shows interest in someone who's available, other teams out there are like, hey, if Bill's interested, maybe we should be too. And I'm surprised we haven't heard of more teams being interested simply because Bill Belichick has shown interest in DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe it's because uh, they know that Bill O'Brien has the pre-existing relationship with DeAndre Hopkins, and maybe they're trying to relight that flame. I mean, look, if anybody knows how to use uh, DeAndre Hopkins, it's Bill O'Brien. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins was a three-time first-team All-Pro under the direction of Bill O'Brien's offense, so... I mean, that's one part of it, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe the shine has sort of washed off the Patriots a little bit, given what's gone on there over the last two years. I mean, we know that they were an unmitigated disaster offensively last year because of the decisions that Bill Belichick made on who was going to lead that group. So, I mean, you know, when we're looking at, well, why aren't other teams interested? I mean, it just because the Patriots are, maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But I I think that DeAndre Hopkins can still play. And I do think it's interesting just based off of that, that we haven't seen or at least heard about more teams trying to get involved in this. The thing that surprises me, though, is that DeAndre Hopkins at this stage of his career, this is something Chris Sims says all the time. He's really not a number one. He's kind of like a large slot receiver. And they already have that in Juju Smith-Schuster. And maybe the plan will be, Let's deploy a bunch of number two and number three receivers. We don't need a number one. If we got all these other guys who aren't number ones who are getting open, one of them's going to be open. We go through the progressions. And if all else fails, that's the, here's the other side of it, too. When you're DeAndre Hopkins and Juju Smith-Schuster, you're open even if you're not open. Mm-hmm. And so Mac Jones can throw it close, and Hopkins, Smith-Schuster can go make the contested catch against one of the defensive backs trying to keep them from getting to the ball. Well, and then I think you have it where you've got Hunter Henry and Mike Jasicki, and they're a part of the same offense. And we've seen the Patriots in years past, and we're going back more than a decade, but we've seen it in years past where they utilize two tight ends and kind of flummox the rest of the league like that. I mean, in a league where you see more and more 11 personnel with three wide receivers and only one tight end out there, if you have two really good pass-catching tight ends, like a Mike Jasicki, like a Hunter Henry, that can give you some matchup mismatches, right? Where you can take advantage of some things based on the size. And so maybe that's the same sort of thing where you've got two bigger receivers, two dudes with really strong hands and a DeAndre Hopkins and a Juju Smith-Schuster that can be more matchup nightmares. I mean, they're bigger guys and they can take advantage of smaller corners, especially if they're there on the inside. So I I think the more options you have as an offensive coordinator, the better off you're going to be, right? If you are a Bill O'Brien, why in the world would you not want somebody you already know in DeAndre Hopkins 
who can elevate that offense and be a big target for Mac Jones. This is a fascinating turn, though, because back in April, DeAndre Hopkins was interviewed and he was asked to provide nonverbal answers to whether or not he was interested in four teams, Patriots, Jets, Chiefs, Bills. Clearly interested, big smile, looking at the camera when Chiefs and Bills were uttered. For Patriots and Jets, it was kind of a head shake and look off to the side. Well, since then, I think he's realized when the Chiefs and Bills tried to trade for him and wanted him to take a lot less than $19.45 million. See, we entered this process thinking he's going to go to a new team and want to raise over 19.45. Then it became, sorry, we're not taking on that contract. How much less will you take? And they were working something out in one of those two cities. Odo Beckham Jr. signs with the Ravens for $15 million fully guaranteed. That throws everything sideways. And now DeAndre Hopkins is left to try to go get the best he can. Maybe it's a simple situation where the Patriots are offering more than anyone else is willing to offer. And the other thing they offer him, when you consider the other options on the team, he walks through the door as the number one receiver. Even if he's not a traditional number one right now that's going to draw double coverage everywhere he goes and give defensive coordinators fits and keep him up late at night, how are we going to stop this guy? He's still the best receiver on the roster. All due respect to Juju Smith-Schuster and anyone else they have on the team. If he goes to Tennessee, Traylon Burks is the guy who's up and coming. These other cities, Kadarius Toney with the Chiefs, Stephon Diggs with the Bills. You think of the other teams that could swoop in and try to do something. If you go to Baltimore, OBJ is the guy. In New England, Hopkins is the guy. It's him and all the others. Him, Juju Smith-Schuster has stepped down, and then everybody else. And just from an ego standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that. We're just trying to understand why he'd want to go there. But he has a status immediately walking through the door in New England that none of these other teams can give him, and that makes for maybe a little awkward adjustment period to DeAndre Hopkins joining the team where he thinks he's him, he thinks he's him, somebody's got to defer to someone else or it's going to get ugly at some point between now and the end of the season. What? I just love you using he's him. Yeah, Mike, way to I'm go. Him. Way to know the lingo, baby. No, I love it. You're, after I've learned what I did last segment between Footloose and Rent, you are him. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that's not true. Uh, I, I, but I would argue if he goes to Tennessee, he's the lead dog. I'm sorry. I mean, like, I don't, what did we see from Traylon Burks that makes us believe that he's him already? I, I don't believe that. And, and I mean, part of that was due to injury last year. But just like, look, the, the Tennessee passing offense was not very good last year. That's why they really do need somebody like a DeAndre Hopkins to come in there and solidify something in that receiver's room. I mean, they've got Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook, Akine, and question mark, question mark, question mark. I mean, I I don't know what that receiving core is going to be besides those two guys. I mean, you didn't mention him, but when you talk about Kansas City, you also got to mention Travis Kelsey, right? That's the lead dog when it comes to pass catchers. And he's going to be the lead dog as long as he is there and as long as he is connected with Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things that probably go into it. Um, but you know, if DeAndre Hopkins wants to be a lead dog somewhere, then it seems like uh, Tennessee and New England would be the options. I continue to hope that the Browns will get involved, but he wouldn't necessarily be the lead dog there either because they've got Amari Cooper, and I think that he would be a very strong number two to Amari Cooper. But you know, nobody cares about what I think. 
Before I'm him became the popular way of saying it, alpha was the phrase that was more commonly used. And I think New England is the one place where he's the unquestioned alpha walking through the door. In Tennessee, it's awkward Uh, because they're grooming Traylon Burks to become the alpha. And we had some comments from Burks last week, and it was a little – it was a little ambivalent. Yeah. It was a little lukewarm. It was a little positive. It was a little like, you know, we're good here. But, you know, there's been multiple Patriots receivers who, who've been ambivalent at best about DeAndre Hopkins because it's a numbers game. And somebody's going to go. If they sign DeAndre Hopkins, one of the guys currently on the roster at the receiver position is out. And another guy yes. who thought he was going to be more involved in the offense this year is not going to be as involved as he thought he was going to be. So that was Kendrick yes. Bourne who was a little bit meh, meh, meh. and then Devonte Parker. I saw this because you, you retweeted the exchange. He didn't want to talk yeah. about it at all about yeah. Deandre Hopkins. He wasn't interested at all. And he may be the one who gets a short straw. I don't know, but somebody's out the door when Deandre Hopkins signs with the new England Patriots. Let me ask you this. Cause we mentioned this yesterday and I went back and looked at the story about the Cooper cup restructuring with the Rams and they needed the cap space to sign their rookies but it was still more than what they need to sign their rookies and they could create more cap space. Anytime you see a move like that in June, you start wondering, are they thinking of something? And we've seen the Rams in the past when, when Odo Beckham Jr. was released by the Browns and we're like, where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? I said on this very show, watch the Rams before we even knew. And it's, I know it's, I just got lucky, but the Rams fit the profile they did two years ago. Who knows what profile they fit now, but could you see the Rams? making a play for with this extra cap space and more cap space they could create because it doesn't take much to create cap space. You've got veteran contracts that can be restructured. You kick the can into future years. You create cap space now. You do a multi-year deal with a new player that has a small cap number now. It's all about kicking the can because the cap keeps going up and up. Those dollars mean less as the years go by. Could you see DeAndre Hopkins or even a Dalvin Cook being a target for the Rams, for your Los Angeles Rams? It's interesting. I mean, maybe if I, I I don't know that that's where they're trying to be, though, this year. I mean, certainly they could use a DeAndre Hopkins type on that team and on that offense just based on the fact that, look, it's Cooper Cup. Van Jefferson has potential, but he hasn't quite, you know, gotten up there yet. They still feel good about Cam Akers running back if you want to talk about Dalvin Cook, but it just seems like. Their philosophy is this year, let's take the guys that we have, let's train the young pups, and let's see what we can do, and let's kind of make it a coaching project. And then, you know, I think that the Rams can still contend in the NFC because it is so weak. You know, it's not like we're talking about a team in the AFC East or in the AFC North or in the AFC West with two teams at the top and the Chiefs and the Chargers, you know? I mean, like, they, they could still be competitive, um, and they could use a DeAndre Hopkins. Most teams could use DeAndre Hopkins, but I don't. I don't know that that's really what they're going for this year. I think that my understanding, at least, is that they want to see what they have this year. They want to coach these dudes, and then they can figure out where things go next year after there's sort of a reset in what things are this year. You know, and I, yeah, the, the expectations internally haven't necessarily changed and all that. And you go and you get a DeAndre Hopkins, it signals like, hey, we do feel really good about the guys we have and we just want to elevate that. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I see it for them right now. But I could see them, just that same mindset when they're toying with what it takes to go next level and go all in, do yeah. the, 
what was the guy's name from Rounders with the Oreos? What was his name? The the I know the character. I mean, I know the actor. John Malkovich. What was his character's name? It was something Bob. What was his? You I don't know. Me, I mean, we'll I'm, figure it out. I'm, 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 but but uh, yeah, that yeah, he would he had his tell where he would do something with the Oreos. But they went all in, and he is you know pay the man his money. But this. Teddy KGB. How could I forget that? Boy, I really am. I think it is. You know what? I think I am getting a little. Oh, well. We'll see in five weeks. We'll see if I can remember anything. I may not remember you in five weeks. But, but, I digress. Um, what was my point? Oh, I can see Les Sneed. I can see Les Sneed and Sean McVay sitting around thinking, you know, they say we're not going to be very good this year. And, you know, we understand we're in kind of a transition. But look around the NFC. You got all the great yeah. players leaving the conference. All those great teams in the AFC. We could at least make some noise this year. There's three wild card spots. We could be better than people think. Everybody thinks we're going to be crap this year. You know, we got a couple guys floating around out there, and you know, Stan's Stan's feeling good. He just won the NBA championship, and maybe we can overperform our expectations this year. We grossly underperformed last year. Maybe it's a win this year. If we get one of those three wild card spots and yeah. I, I mean, if they could just keep their core players healthy, why wouldn't they be in contention for a playoff spot? Last year, it was all about injuries more than anything else. If you can get DeAndre Hopkins or or Dalvin Cook, the, all of a sudden they don't become a Super Bowl contender, but they become something other than who the Rams. We went through all the teams yesterday. You put Patrick Mahomes on any team. Which teams aren't Super Bowl contenders? It's easier to list the ones that aren't with Patrick Mahomes. And Sims and I agreed on the Texans, the Cardinals, maybe the Bears, maybe the Rams. Well, you know, so it's amazing how far they've fallen. This is a way for them to just prop up a little bit and lay the foundation for whatever's going to happen next year. That's why I think, I, you know, they, they're still the same guys that did the Teddy KGB and pushed all the chips into the middle of the table. It's still the same guys who did that. That's why I can't ignore the possibility that they're sitting around thinking, man, we can be better than what people think we're going to be. We can be better than what we think we're going to be. Yeah, we may not win the Super Bowl, but we can stick it to a lot of people. We can shut up a lot of haters if we go 10 and 7. But I I think that they already think that with or without DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, and I I don't want to be like, oh, DeAndre Hopkins is making him that much better. I mean, I think that he does elevate that team. Um, but it also depends on, you know, what does he want to do? Does he want to come in? And like we were talking about a little bit ago, does he want to be the alpha? Right? Because if he does, he ain't going to be that there. Cooper Cup is the alpha there, right? And the last time we saw Cooper Cup in a fully healthy season and with a fully healthy quarterback, he was the best receiver in the National Football League. He had record-setting season in the National Football League. So, I mean, I think that that's, if that's part of the calculus, right? then that's something that you got to think about. But yeah, I mean, they've got some highly paid dudes for that team, right? Or highly paid guys that are on the cap, at least. You know, when you've got Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald and Matthew Stafford and Allen Robinson obviously no longer there with the Pittsburgh Steelers after that trade. Those are the lead dogs. And they are sort of counting on those three guys in Cup, in Stafford, in Donald to lead that team into where it's going to be. And that's a little bit of a different situation than they've had maybe in the past where it's those three and other veterans around them. You know, they had Jalen Ramsey when they won the Super Bowl and all that. So it's not 
the same as it's been, but I think that they have confidence in their coaching staff and their scouting staff that they've brought in guys who can compete and can probably make some noise in the NFC. I mean, that I, I, because there's three wild card teams, right? That that's exactly what can happen. I mean, look at what Seattle did last year. I don't think anybody really anticipated that, but now I feel like we should anticipate that Seattle is going to get that much better, right? They should be knocking on that door with San Francisco, and maybe we get that kind of rivalry that we had in the beginning of the decade, you know, where it was San Francisco and Seattle, and those two teams are clashing, and then it's 2012, it's 2013, things like that. I, I don't know. Oh, the last game of the 2019 regular season, that epic between the 49ers yes. and the Seahawks that had the number yes. one seed, I think, hanging in the balance. So, yeah, right. we could be back right. to that, but the Rams, I think, could try to make things interesting. You mentioned Cup, Donald, and Stafford. Over under one and a half, how many of those guys are back with the team next year? Over under is one and a half. Oh, over. Over. Mm. Over. At, mm. le- at least I think Donald and Donald. Mm. Mm. I don't think Donald will be back next year. I don't think he'll be really? back. I think this Ooh, is his last year with there. the Rams. I don't know that. This is just this is just broader understanding of his career and everything that's gone on and the way his contract is structured. I think he either retires or gets traded after this year at his request to a team closer to his hometown of Pittsburgh. And I think with Stafford, I think that that this is it. Because, look, I know he's healthy now, and that's great. And Sean McVay said it's a night and day difference. He said that to reporters earlier this week. That last year they didn't have Stafford at all in the offseason program. Now he's there. He's engaged. He's throwing. He's healthy. That's great. But – once it's time to start playing in the games, what's going to happen? He's going to get hit. He's going to get banged up. He's going to keep his mouth shut about it like he always does. And they're going to accumulate. And it's going to get to a point where it's affecting his play. That's how it works. Unless all of a sudden they have a much better offensive line than they did last year, the hits right. are inevitable. The contact is inevitable. And he's 35. He's taken a pounding in his career. He's an old 35. I think this is it for him with the Rams this year, and I think this is it for Donald. So I'm going over. I think Cup is the only one who's back with the team in 2024. Again, I'm going under. You're going over. I'm going under. You take odds. I'll take evens. I got under. I got Cup being back next year. Not a report. Please, please don't make this any more than it is. Florio says both Donald and Stafford are gone next year. But if I had to guess, I'd say they're both going to be gone next year. Yes. Yes. Okay. Not, not a report. We are making that very clear. Um, yeah, I, I think not a report. The thing, of, yes, not a game. Thank you. Not a game. Not a game. Practice. 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 That's Alan Iverson. You kind of sort of made me lose my train of thought there. Now that you got me on AI Good. in Philadelphia. You got to cut loose. And, yeah. Footloose. Getting off my Sunday shoes. Are we just going to come back to that in every segment now? If you'll sing it. Trying to First get you, you to sing turn it. me around. I'm not going to sing it. I wish I we were in the Bruce same room. I would ply it. you with. I would ply you with makers until you sang. <laughs> Only takes a couple of drinks. My friends can tell you that. Well, <laughs> then it's like uh, it's karaoke time, night with Miles. Finally, there we go. I had no idea you were here last year. We've got this great karaoke machine that's got like the voice modulator to help you out if you're not very good. 
Oh, I don't need auto tune. Yeah, I'm 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 sad we're not doing another writers summit this summer. Boy, we may have to revise our plans here. You're not coming back east though, but I know what's on the docket next year. We're dusting off the karaoke machine and Miles is singing all the selected songs from Footloose and 525,600 minutes, aka Seasons of Love from Rent. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, the Chiefs get their rings, baby. The Chiefs get their rings and they are awesome. And Patrick Mahomes is trending for a very funny reason. We'll we'll fill you in on all that when this Friday edition, last show before our five-week break, continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Thursday night in Kansas City, they got their rings. And with the first pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers no, suggest or select. No, 1990. What, that, that, that big suit? Is, are they coming back with, like, the big oversized double-breasted suit? Because I got some. There's Patrick That's... Mahomes looking clean. It's time for the rings. Hey, I'm just happy that Kelsey didn't wear a jacket that had what Sims calls the crotch sleeve. There's the ring. Awesome. And what we see now, the Buccaneers started this two years ago where the ring has a lid that comes off and there's a stadium inside of it. This was great, too. And Petty Mahomes is trending this morning, Miles, because that is Patrick Mahomes sticking it to Jamar Chase, who said, Pat who? The other day when he was asked if Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, he was just taken up for his guy, Joe Burrow. Burrow had already conceded Patrick Mahomes is the best. But there is Patrick Mahomes with the message that he tweeted. That's who with two rings. And, uh, boy, it just feels like it's just a matter of time before there's a third or a fourth. Although I was talking to my son about this last night. Once you win, once the confetti falls and you have the parade and you get the ring, you forget how hard it was to get there. Beyond just qualifying for the playoffs. And the Chiefs find a way to do it every year. But think about it. They've never played a road playoff game with Mahomes. But they still have only won two Super Bowls in his five years as a starter. It's a 40% success rate. They could have won it five straight years. 
frankly, six if they had benched Alex Smith in 2017 when the offense was struggling in November and unleashed Mahomes on the football world then. So it's hard to do it. Look what they had to do against the Jaguars. Mahomes injures his ankle. They had to hold it together with the 98-yard drive by Chad Henney long enough for Mahomes to come back. Then against the Bengals, I thought Cincinnati was going to win the game. I thought Cincinnati was going to win the damn game right down to the end until Chris Jones wreaked havoc on Joe Burrow. Then I thought it was going to overtime until Joseph Asai hits Patrick Mahomes out of bounds and gives them the 15 yards that, that becomes the winning field goal. And then they're down 10 points in the second half of the Super Bowl. This is hard to do. And now you get to go back to zero and zero, and everybody is going to try to beat the Chiefs. The schedule is tougher this year. And, and they're still going to be in it. But, man, you got to thread a series of needles to win a Super Bowl in today's NFL. You do, and that's why nobody has repeated as Super Bowl champion since the 2004 Patriots, right? I mean, it is that hard to get in a position to do it. So, yeah, I mean, they had the chance to win it, uh, you know, two in a row a couple of years ago when they were playing the Buccaneers, but that was Tom Brady's last stand, and Tom Brady needed to get seven. So the football gods smiled on the Buccaneers that year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that Patrick Mahomes – thinks it's easy to do and listening to his comments this week some of his comments last night you know uh, when before the ring ceremony it's kind of like no this is the last chance that you take to celebrate what happened before but now it is a new year it's a new season and we have to do things that are going to put us in position to win us another one I mean why else would Patrick Mahomes bring all those guys down to Texas? Why else would Patrick Mahomes be throwing with different guys before the draft, including Rashi Rice, who the Chiefs ended up drafting? I think he has an understanding that it's not easy to do this year after year after year, and you have to put in every single bit that you can of yourself into it in order to get out of it, or in order to get out of it what you want, you know? And that's why he also seems to take every little thing as a slight and he pays attention to everything. And that's why he puts out that's who he is the petty King. And I think that that's what the great ones kind of do, right? What do we learn about Michael Jordan in that documentary that came out during the pandemic? He took everything personally and it led him to be more motivated to have more success. It seems like the Patrick Mahomes is on that same track. And I just love that we get to talk about what he does for a living because it's so fun to watch. Back in the 70s when the Steelers won four Super Bowls, and I don't know if Terry Bradshaw said it at the time or if he said it after, and I'm paraphrasing, but he would find himself depressed after winning a Super Bowl because what do you do for an encore? You just go try to do the same thing that you've already done. There's no new mountain to climb. It's the same mountain over and over again. That's where that motivation comes from. Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady, Tom Petty. You're getting me all mixed up here with Petty Mahomes, Tom Petty, Tom Brady, and Tom is Petty as well. Anything. Make it up if you have to like Jordan did. Brady does that. Mahomes will do that eventually. He'll get whatever he can to motivate himself to keep going. And here's the difference between Brady and Mahomes. Brady had a goal of four. Mahomes has a goal of seven. See, he's chasing something that Brady didn't have to chase. Once Brady got to four, he was stretching the rubber band farther than it's ever been stretched. Mahomes knows he needs seven. And how different we'd feel, Miles, if the Chiefs had won Super Bowl 55, 
and Brady would be stuck on six, and Mahomes would already be halfway there, assuming that they would have still won it last year. I mean, you have – but but all other things equal. Yes. It would be 6-3 versus 7-2, and that's a huge difference. It is a huge difference, but, you know, I mean, like Tom Petty, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to back down, right? And I mean the singer that time. But it, it's one of those things where, you look, Tom Brady always talked about what's your favorite Super Bowl ring, and he said the next one, right? I, I It seems to me – that Patrick Mahomes also has that kind of mentality where it's not just, oh, you know, we've done this, hooray, great. It's no, 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 we're still in this. You know, we talked about, you know, I'm not going to have Travis Kelsey forever. I'm not going to have Chris Jones around me forever. So let's continue to maximize what we've got here. And I think because of that mentality at the top of the roster, it sets the tone for everybody else. That's something that I absolutely, I think, trickles down. And when you have that kind of guy who is that kind of motivated, I think it helps make their entire roster as competitive as it has been since Mahomes has been the starter. And regardless of where it goes from here, the bottom line is last night, and Mahomes said it this week, last night was the final occasion to celebrate the 2022 achievement, get your Super Bowl ring, Petty Mahomes and company could have their last dance with Mary Jane and then move on to 2023, which is what they're doing now. They move on without Chris Jones in attendance at the mandatory minicamp. Andy Reid, the head coach of the team, said this week that general manager Brett Veach and Chris Jones are communicating. Here is Brett Veach talking about the Chris Jones mandatory minicamp boycott as he tries to get a new contract. We're in constant communication. I'd be shocked if Chris isn't here. I mean, this is his type of party right here. So, um, but we have great communication. And look, there's a lot of time before camp. So, um, feel good about you know where we're going to be with with Chris, and and um, we'll get to celebrate tonight and have a good time, and then um, you know break tomorrow. And I'm sure we'll have great dialogue from now to start of training camp. And look forward to Chris being here, and 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 not just for next year, but for a long time. Do you have a timeline in your head where you feel comfortable getting stuff done? No, not really. I mean, we have, I mean, Wilson, we have a long history together and, and um, we have a great relationship with his, with his agent. So, um, I mean, these things usually get worked out right before, right during um, the first start of camp. So um, we anticipate the same and we'll see how it goes. That's a clean look from Brett Veach. I like the red buttons. I like the red buttons on the tuck shirt, but but, but, I will say this. I will say this. There is no way that was a hand-tied bow tie. There is no way in hell you can hand-tie a bow tie that perfectly. That's the old. And it's okay. It's like the clip-on straight tie because I can just tell by looking at it. There's a, the, you can never get it that perfect with a hand-tied bow tie. You can't. You just can't. I don't even know how to tie a freaking bow tie. I've tried. I can't do it. I stick with a regular tie. Also, I kind of look ridiculous with a bow tie. So, uh, there's that. Uh, but that's a clean look for Veach. And the bottom line is this. Sims and I said this earlier in the week. Mahomes, who's taken less, $45 million a year, but he's taken less and deserves more, he's going to be around for another 10, 15 years and making that kind of money. For Chris Jones, the candle is burning as bright as it's going to burn now. It's going to go out. Now is the time to get your money because you're not playing until you're 40. Mahomes will. He won't. Right, exactly. And I, I think – there just seems to be an understanding within the Chiefs that, like, look, this is what's happening right now. Patrick Mahomes said it yesterday. This is business. And they went through a sort of similar situation with Orlando Brown last year. And he was playing left tackle. He got hit with the franchise tag. He didn't even get to the team until camp had already started. 
because he didn't have to be because he hadn't signed the franchise tender yet. And this is a little bit different, obviously, because Chris Jones is under contract, but this, he is going into a contract year. It seems like the chiefs understand that they want to get something done with their defensive leader at 15 and a half sacks last year, tied a career high. They want him around. They understand what he means to that team and to the defense. So I think this is one of those things that, yeah, it's business right now, but they're going to get it done at some point between, as Beach was just saying, now and the beginning or maybe to a couple days into training camp. I, I don't think that there's going to be some sort of impasse where they can't get something done with somebody who clearly means so much to that team and to that defense in what they do defensively. They don't win Super Bowl 54 without Chris Jones. He single-handedly freaked out Jimmy Garoppolo during that fourth quarter when the 49ers had the 10-point lead, and they don't get to Super Bowl 57 without Chris Jones because he's the one who stepped up when it felt inevitable that the Bengals were going to drive down the field and win the game with a three-point field goal and advance to uh, the Super Bowl against the Eagles. Okay, here's let's hear from Mahomes, too, because he's also addressed it. And he's the guy, and this is the mentality they're trying to create in Kansas City. The star's taken less and I think they hope that attitude trickles down to other players. Here's what the star with the $45 million contract had to say about Chris Jones. You guys let the business be the business, and players don't talk about this thing. What's the communication like with Chris when maybe he's not in attendance here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's part of the business. I think Chris knows that we love him here. Uh, the, the, he's, uh, he's been a part of this team for a long time. Uh, he's one of the main reasons that we've had the success that we've had. He's been that leader on the defense. He's made a lot of big plays, and it seems like the biggest moments, and you want those guys on your team. Um, and so, like you said, it's part of the business. It's, it's the off season, even though you're getting better. I'm, I'm sure Chris is working, and he knows the defense that he needs to do. Um, and the, the hope is that everything's good good by training camp, and we're able to come in and just roll, and that's just part of it. And that's what makes this, this team such so great is um, whenever guys like that have to go handle their business, we let them handle it. When they jump back in the building, we get back to right where we left off. You know, one of the things Patrick Mahomes has realized, and he learned this lesson very clearly last year with Tyreek Hill, he's the guy who's going to be there for the course of the next 10 years, 15 years, who knows how much longer he's going to play. Everything else is going to change around him. Mm-hmm. Everything. Every guy that's on the team now will not be on the team when he is still going strong 10 years from now, assuming he, he, he'll be 37. I think he'll still be going strong then. So it's going to be – I mean, all of them, except I, I don't know, maybe there's some young guy on the roster who somehow makes it 10 years, but – most of that roster is going to be turned over, and he understands that. This is the way it's going to work. You're going to be the constant, and the pieces around you are going to change. And you have to view these seasons as one year at a time, self-contained realities, and there's always going to be change. Juju Smith-Schuster, gone. Orlando Brown, gone. There's going to be guys gone every year that you become friends with, you have affection for. They're going to be gone. That's just how the business of football works, and he gets it. Chris Jones is going to be gone at some point, but for now they need him. They need to get this worked out. They need him while he's still playing at a high level, and he's capable of dominating an opposing offense and making it easier for the Chiefs to win games. No doubt. And I think that you're right about Mahomes' realization of that, and it is something that he's talked about. Um, But, you know, I think 
when you look at that defense in particular, you need somebody like Chris Jones because you don't have other veterans that used to be there, right? Frank Clark is gone. Juan Thornhill is gone. And so when you don't have those guys and you have some young dudes on the defensive line at defensive end, you need that guy in the middle who can solidify everything for you. So I don't think that there's any doubt that the Chiefs uh, don't understand exactly what Chris Jones means to that defense, right? And, and I think if there were, then it would be maybe we were hearing trade rumors about him. We, we haven't really done that, I, or I haven't heard that, right? So there's, I think, this sort of tacit understanding that, like, right now, yeah, it, it's business. It is what it is. He wasn't there. It's mini camp. You know, this is the same defense that they've been running for years and years under Steve Spagnuolo as coordinator. So it, it's not that big of a deal, that he's not there right now. It becomes a bigger deal if it drags on into training camp. And that's the reality, right? Once you are in training camp, it's okay. We are nose to the grindstone and we're digging things out here because we need to be prepared for the start of the regular season. So that's where, if this does drag into that, then I think that's where it's time to start being concerned. In Baltimore, the Lamar Jackson situation was surprisingly resolved just before the draft. They've added Odo Beckham Jr. They're converting to an offense that seems to be more premised on passing than it has been in the past. Meanwhile, running back J.K. Dobbins entering the final year of his rookie contract at a base salary of $1.931 million. He's not happy with the situation. He gave an interview to, I think, WJZ-TV in Baltimore. We have an item posted at PFT via Jamison Hensley of ESPN.com with some of the quotes. The business is hard. That's what Dobbins says. And, look, it's a tough spot for him because when he plays, he plays at a high level. 6.0 yards per carry as a rookie when he had over 800 yards. 5.7 yards per carry last year in half of the season as he, um, as he was recovering from and continued to recover from the torn ACL that wiped out his second year. Uh, here's, here's J.K. Dobbins from this week talking about the business realities of the NFL. All the camps were complete. Um, we didn't see you on the field, but you did say some things on social media about wanting to be a Raven. Where do you stand, J.K.? What can you say? What the, the thing I can say is I would love to be a Baltimore Raven for the rest of my career. I would love to because I love the city. I love the people. It feels like family here. Like, it feels like home here, my second home. You know, and um, I hope that happens. <laughs> I hope that happens. You're a football player, but you have wide-ranging interests and abilities. And in many ways, you have to be a businessman. Mm -hmm. Do you like the business side of what you do, or is it hard? The business side is very hard. It's very different. It's it's different, but um, it's part of it. It's part of the dream, and it's something that I'm blessed with to, to deal with the business side of that. You know, you saw with Lamar. It's always, it's never, it's never just roses and daisies. It can be hard at times, you know, and it's it's business though. So it's it's part of the dream though. The games that Lamar Jackson missed last year after he suffered the injury in early December against the Broncos, J.K. Dobbins averaged seven yards per carry. Seven yards per carry without Lamar Jackson on the field. He had 15 carries for 120, 13 for 125, 12 for 59, 17 for 93. So this guy has proven he can move the chains. Here's the problem, though. 
that ACL injury, it's a risk that's inherent to the position. It's a risk that's inherent to football, really. I was going to say for everybody except punters and kickers, but hell, Martin Gramatica tore his ACL celebrating a field goal years ago. So anybody out there on that field can suffer a torn ACL. It happened to him. He's got one year left on his contract. He's going to perform by all appearances if he stays healthy at a high level. But when it's time to get paid, he's not going to get paid for what he did this year. That's the problem. So he's kind of taking a stand now, trying to get his contract, trying to get the Ravens to pay him for what he believes he's going to do this year. That is hard to do because, Miles, he doesn't have a lot of leverage. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Not show up for training camp? Hold in? What are the Ravens going to do? At some point, they're going to say, we got to play football. You're due to make $1.9 million. Let's see what you do this year, and then we'll work it out next year. But next year, they have the franchise tag. And then next year, he's Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, delayed by at least a year from getting to the market and getting the contract that he needs to get before he's too banged up and too old as a running back to get it. Yeah, this is a really tough situation because I I do understand J.K. Dobbins' perspective of, look, when I'm out there and when I'm healthy and when I play, I am an elite running back, and he absolutely is. You cited the numbers of his average per carry, um, not just from his rookie year, but from also last year. But I think if you're Baltimore, you also have guys like Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, guys who have shown that they can play, that they can be effective. We also have Keaton Mitchell right on the roster, and they're rookies. Um, so if you're J.K. Dobbins, you don't play a position right now that has any kind of good leverage when it comes to trying to get paid. Because look at what's happened over the league right now with veteran running backs who are good, right? Saquon Barkley doesn't have a new deal. Josh Jacobs doesn't have a new deal. Tony Pollard doesn't have a new deal. And we haven't even really heard any discussion about what they could get aside from just signing their franchise tender. Look at what Austin Eckler went through with the Los Angeles Chargers, where nobody wanted to trade for him because they were going to have to pay him, and nobody wanted to pay him what he wanted. So we ended up having to take an incentive-laden deal that won't even get him to that franchise tender number of $10.1 million, roughly. So I just, I, I, I understand what he's doing, what J.K. Dobbins is doing right now, but... I don't know that there's really much for him, especially on the Ravens roster where they've got other guys who, yeah, they're not quite as good as J.K. Dobbins, but they're effective. I, I'm, I'm not sure where this could go. There was an effort several years ago to create a separate bargaining unit consisting solely of running backs. It didn't mm-hmm. get very far, but I hope somebody out there with a vested interest in that subject is considering options for doing that because I really do believe of all the positions on the field, running back should have its own group, its own negotiating stance because they are getting screwed or bleeped to use your term from earlier in the show by the system. The system is screwing them because their best years come under their rookie wage scale contracts by the time they're in position to get a second contract. It's what are you? It's not what have you done for me lately. It's what are you doing for me right now? What can you do for me tomorrow? I don't care that you had 1,500 yards two years ago. What we're talking about is what's going forward. You've been banged up. You're 26 now. We can go get a guy and pay him bargain basement rates in comparison to veteran players and just beat the hell out of him and give him the ball 25 times a game 
and never pay him either. I've argued, and this was an idea that Chris Sims had, and I've been pushing it and pushing it, a fund that pays the young running backs in the NFL who come out and play well. It's not from any one team. It's just a fund like the performance-based pay system. Something, though. But I think the running backs need to come together and try to create their own union, their own bargaining unit, because the system is screwing them. And their only answer, Miles, is to just don't play running back. Dry up the supply. That's the problem. There's too many running backs. So if you're a great athlete that thinks he can make it to the NFL, resist the the very strong temptation by the low-level coach to just say, well, let's just give the ball to him, and he'll run circles around everyone. And before you know it, it's too late to play a different position. Right, exactly. You, should, you need to go be a wide receiver. You need to go be a cornerback. I mean, those are the premium positions right now that are really getting paid. And when you have those positions that are getting paid like that, and then you have this position at running back that does touch the ball more, but gets paid like they're getting paid, something kind of just is not quite right with that picture. And so, yeah, it's the supply and demand issue, but at some point, something's got to give where running backs are getting paid like the production that they put out there on the field. I mean, or commiserate with the production that they put out on the field because they just aren't right now. And I don't think that that's fair. I, I really don't. Well, running backs of the NFL, we may not be the advocates you'll want, no. but we're the advocates you're stuck with, at least for now, until we get somebody better equipped than we are to get you what you deserve, which is your own seat at the table, your own piece of the pie, And you don't have to deal with this current system that truly screws you relative to the other positions on the field. Um, And and, and oh, by the way, we don't have time to play the sound, but you get the impression J.K. Dobbins could have practiced this week at mandatory minicamp, but maybe chose not to. And I don't blame him. Why go out there and risk an aggravation of your ACL tear? Why put yourself at risk of any injury? when you've got six weeks until training camp and hopefully the Ravens will sign you. Okay, here's one. And look, I'm conflicted here because I love Chase Claypool. I was smitten with his talent, and he was great as a rookie with the Steelers. But I remember when, I think it was the Steelers' official website, claimed that he had diva tendencies. And I bristled at that. It's like, that's not fair to put on this guy. What's he ever done to make us think he's a diva? Well, what did Antonio Brown ever do to make us think he was a diva until we found all the stuff he had done that they had kept under wraps that made it clear he was a diva? So, so long story bearable, the Steelers get essentially a first-round pick for Chase Claypool because the second-rounder ended up being number 32 overall that they got from the Bears. The report from Waddy and Sylvie of the ESPN radio affiliate in Chicago is that the Bears are unhappy with Claypool this offseason, both on and off the field. And this is a guy who's entering contract year. This is the time to to mind your P's and Q's, to dot your I's and cross your T's, to do everything necessary to get the contract that you deserve, to set yourself up for a future of high-end compensation. Maybe he's just pissed that he hasn't gotten it yet, but this is a problem for the Bears because they gave up a lot. Remember, it was down to the Bears and the Packers, and the Steelers traded into the Bears because they thought the Bears would have a higher pick in round two, and they were right. And now the Bears may be feeling like they were wrong to give up what would have been pick number 32 for Chase Claypool. And when you do that, you're trying to get a guy who's established to help your young quarterback in Justin Fields. And this 
is a really big deal when it comes to the development of a young QB who has to get better at passing this year, right? They went out, they got DJ Moore. I love that move, and I thought it was a great thing that Ryan Poles got DJ Moore in that deal for the number one pick for the Panthers, right? But that's something where you thought you were going to have DJ Moore, and then you got Chase Claypool, and man, let's set this thing up, and let's go, let's ride. And if they're disappointed with what Chase Claypool has brought to the table, man, I, that's a lot of buyer's remorse right there in terms of giving up a second-round pick for somebody who was good with the Steelers. Also, you got to think, there's a reason why the Steelers were willing to let him go, right? And so, you know, they've got Deontay Johnson, they've got George Pickens, and they're all right over there in Pittsburgh. Now, looks like Chicago, they might not be all right with this guy who's supposed to be a good number two. One of the reasons Mike Tomlin is so respected among NFL coaches is that when players from the Steelers go elsewhere, those coaches are like, I had no idea this guy was like this. I had no idea. Well, Mike Tomlin knows how to push the buttons, to keep guys under control, to get them all playing together because there are some difficult personalities he has navigated during his time with the Steelers. Antonio Brown, the most obvious example, but now we're seeing a little bit more of it with Chase Claypool. It pains me to say it because I think he's a great talent, but he's squandering his talent. If this is true, he's squandering his opportunity, and he's not getting the most out of his God-given abilities, and hopefully he can turn it around. Hopefully this is the wake-up call that he needs. Maybe they trade him again. All right, we've got to take a break. We are very heavy. So we got, Either way, the show's ending in 20 minutes. The question sure. is how much more can we cram into it in that time. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Oh, lovely. Oh, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Time to cut loose. Foot loose. Kick off your Sunday shoes. Jeez Louise. <laughs> something something knees all right uh that was good well done uh and i have you know i guarantee you when this five weeks comes and goes there are plenty of things i'm forgetting in my advancing age i will not forget that miles has given us a gift that we'll keep on giving for as long as miles is with us and it may not be much longer if i don't cut out the footloose stuff sooner rather than later okay uh, I, I was uh, I was bored yesterday, so I did power rankings based on where the teams are at the conclusion of the offseason program. Chiefs are still the kings of the hill. Eagles at number two. I don't know. Miles, go ahead. Tell me anything you don't like in that first half of the 32 teams. Uh, I think you might have the Ravens a little bit high, uh, you know, and I would have the Seahawks a little bit higher as well, uh, just based on what we knew about the Seahawks last year, right? I mean, why are the Seahawks below the Vikings? Uh, like the Vikings, as you have said more than once, it looks like they've kind of taken the step back, right? I think the Seahawks have gotten better, especially considering they got two uh, first round picks. So that, that's really the one there. I'm like, mm, I think the Seahawks are a little low there. Yeah, you know what? If I had a do-over, I'd make the Seahawks 13 and bump everyone down one. How about that? Would that make you happy? Yeah. I, I would, would maybe that, would put that them 12. I, I would put them 12 and then uh, above the right. Giants and then put them, you know, everybody else lower. And the back end, I think the Cardinals are clearly the worst organization right now in the NFL so bad that they've earned the 32 spot below the Texans. 
Um, yes. Anything? Any? Any? Anything surprise you there? Are your Rams too low? Are your Browns too low? Um, n- not really. I mean, I, every time I think the Titans might be, you know, a little bit out because I don't really have that much confidence what their roster is as it is currently constructed. I'm like, oh yeah, they have Mike Grable as their head coach. They're always going to be well coached, and they're always going to be in most games. So I, I have no problem with that uh, i thought you might be a little bit higher on the falcons than you were you know because you seem to be very into their skill position players at least when we were talking about that a few weeks ago so that was the other thing that kind of surprised me there desmond ritter's got to be the straw that stirs the drink and it's all comes Absolutely. down to him as i said in the little entry the little quick little entry that i do after each team it all comes down to desmond ritter all right i, I didn't realize this was i thought this was segment five this is segment four we got a lot to do in the remaining time that we have so so uh, let's get to the draft. The most shocking moments of the offseason so far. What do you have? Well, for me, the most shocking thing was that these gambling problems exploded all over the National Football League. And yeah, I mean, it's only a handful of players. But when you're talking about somebody like a Jamison Williams, right? Somebody who is ascending into stardom ostensibly for the Detroit Lions. And he gets popped for six games for gambling on non-NFL games inside an NFL facility, that to me is pretty shocking. And so the fact that we saw this with the Lions, we had a couple other players, then there's still one outstanding with discipline presumably to come with Isaiah Rogers of the Colts. That to me has got to be the most shocking thing we've seen this offseason. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to raise you that I'm shocked by, and I didn't mean the pun, but I'll take it, I'm going to raise you the fact that the NFL, to my dismay and amazement, has failed so dramatically in properly educating the players on the do's and don'ts of the gambling policy. We have written about it extensively. I feel like the league's attitude is we just need to create the policy and we need to harvest the signatures that the players have received it. We don't care if they understand it. We just want to have in the file that each player acknowledged receipt of the policy. I don't believe they are educating them the right way. I've heard that the seminars they're doing with people from NFL compliance are basically worthless. They take what could be done in five minutes and they stretch it out for 45 minutes and lose everyone's attention. The gambling policy looks like it was written by lawyers for lawyers. The rules are simple, but you know what? And I'm going to choose my words here carefully. I already wrote about it at PFT Live. Jeff Miller, who's the charge of both, in charge of both health and safety and PR for the NFL, was on their signature morning show, Good Morning Football, yesterday explaining the gambling policy, and he got it wrong. How can we expect? How can we expect the players to understand the rules? If the man ultimately in charge of PR for the NFL, who they tap on the shoulder to go on Good Morning Football to explain this gets it wrong. He completely glossed over the line between what players are allowed to do and what non-players are allowed to do. And he created the impression that non-players are allowed to wager on other sports when not at work. And that is just incorrect. 100% totally incorrect. So I I don't get it because of the stakes here. All these other policies are not existential threats to the sport. This one, this one is... Because this is the one, if you don't prevent the Tim Donahue scandal, if you don't prevent some other scandal that we don't even know about, that could take the sport down, that could create an agency 
that is responsible for regulating professional football, that could get people indicted, that could get laws in place that changes the game and has has the NFL lose its ability to govern itself. I'm, I can't believe that they have fumbled so badly with educating the players. And then at the end of the day, you're losing great players. Jamison Williams doesn't play for six games. You want those guys to be available. I can't believe the NFL has failed this badly in explaining the rule to its players, Miles. we got to take a break. Let's, let's continue well, this discussion about the most surprising things of the offseason after the break. We'll do that when we return. You know how come the chicken crossed the road, huh? Uh, ready to run away from them Cajuns. I'll tell you right now, because Cajuns will eat most anything, and they love to cook chicken. They love to eat chicken. That's for true. I'll tell you that right now. And uh, today I'm going to cook you some chicken gumbo. We don't do it. And that's a sausage. That's Derek Carr's next press conference in New Orleans. Justin Wilson, the Cajun chef, he had Ruffles commercials back in that day. So that's eventually what Derek Carr is going to sound like. Thank you to the viewer who answered the call to send that in. All right, round two. This is the first time ever we're going to do a draft over three segments. Round two, most shocking developments of the offseason. Go. I would have to say Tom Brady buying into the Raiders. I mean, that is just so kind of random and weird. And I guess after the fact that he bought into the Aces first, it was less shocking. But the fact that if there were any NFL team, right, that he were going to buy into, the Raiders would have been way far down on my list, Mike. I'll say all of this Cardinals dysfunction that we've seen from the way they responded to the Terry McDonough arbitration claim, the shameful over-the-top personal attacks, and then the Jonathan Gannon tampering thing that got tucked into the news cycle just before the draft started, and nobody's ever going to tell us what really happened. And if you ask, they're going to call you a conspiracy theorist because they don't want you to know what really happened. But I have a feeling it was something pretty damn bad. Round three, right after this. All right, one more round. The most shocking news of the offseason so far. Miles, what do you have? I would call it Mara versus Goodell, right? And that was at the league meeting down in Arizona. Sharina and I were there. And you had Mara calling the prospect of flexing Thursday night football games abusive toward fans and Roger Goodell got up at his press conference and then said, well, there are millions of fans who watch on television too. That was pretty shocking to me. I'll also stay in that general territory of things the league wants that it crams through, even if no one does this new fair catch rule that everybody hates. I've yet to see anyone support it. All the special teams coaches hate it. A lot of coaches have spoken out against it. Players are against it. We're going to see a lot of squib kicks, and who knows what the future of the kickoff is. Our future is we're off for five weeks, but we'll say goodbye right after this. Well, we're another end of PFT live season closer to death, Miles. The countdown clock is there. Fortunately, it's not the remaining time in our lives. It's just the remaining time in this segment. And I'd like to think we have a little bit more than 10 seconds, but who knows? Well, yeah, but that's okay. I mean, even if we don't, you didn't get me to sing Footloose. 
in the two hours that we have been on this show. So I feel like I have accomplished something, at least from that perspective. I don't know what we accomplish every day doing this show, but I have fun doing it for two hours. And I hear from people all the time who make it part of their routine, who use us as a respite from the crap they otherwise have to deal with. I'm sorry we won't be around for the next five weeks, but I will be doing PFTPM and we will be at ProFootballTalk.com. We'll see you July 27 when PFT Live returns. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.